0: Welcome to this month's episode of the Komunda Nation Podcast. I'm your host, my name is Josh Wolf, and I'm a developer advocate at Comunda. This month, I'm answering the top eight questions about Communda Platform 8. I selected these eight questions from two sources. The forum and Slack, which are primarily people who are using Komunda Platform 8 and asking specific questions related to deployment and development, and from meetups, where there are a lot of Komunda Platform 7 users asking about the differences between the two. I also answered many of these questions as a panel talk at the Komunda User Group meetup in the United States with some of the folks at NT Consult, and I'll put a link to the video of that meetup in the show notes in case you want to check that out. So, without any further ado, let's jump into the top eight questions about Camunda 8. First question. Camunda 8 relies on a remote engine paradigm instead of the embedded engine, which is the more common one in the Spring Boot implementations. What are the advantages of remote engines over embedded ones? Great question. So, a principal advantage of a remote engine is that it can be horizontally scaled across multiple nodes to take advantage of the hardware for failure tolerance and high performance. It's one of the principal design goals for Commander 8. It's a radical reimagining of the workflow engine to make it able to scale linearly to an extent that Commander 7 can't. So, if you really need an embedded engine, then by all means, use Commander 7. If you need the level of scalability that Commander 8 gives you, then yes, that means you need to use a remote engine architecture. Now, as well as the scalable architecture piece, we found that having multiple scenarios for development and deployment of the engine vastly increased the complexity of development and support for us. So with Komodo Platform 8, we opted to do one thing and do it well. Build the world's most scalable workflow engine. So there are obvious advantages to an embedded engine. The resources are lower, the complexity of the system is lower, the number of teams involved in deploying and maintaining it is lower. It's effectively an application library, whereas the remote engine is a piece of infrastructure. So Komunda 8 is for when you need the scalability that makes those trade-offs worthwhile. Okay, question two. We know remote engines come with some limitations. We don't have delegates, for instance. What strategies are recommended for overcoming them? What do we do instead of listeners? How to replicate the functionality we had with global listeners and engine plugins? Okay, great question again. Um, The first thing here is to ask yourself the question, should I be doing this? And I'd say that you shouldn't be doing this just because Komunda 8 is the new hotness and we have to use the latest version. You really want to be doing this because Komunda 8 provides something that Komunda 7 doesn't, which really means the scalability piece. Now if you wait long enough, Comunda 8 is going to approach closer and closer to feature parity with Komunda 7. At the moment, it's a radically innovative platform that provides breakthrough scalability with a much smaller feature set than Komunda 7. For example fewer BPMN symbols are supported and also listeners and engine plugins are not supported. So the entire architecture is built around the external task worker pattern. Everything, literally everything is an external task in Komundo Platform 8. The engine itself is effectively a black box with a simple interface for deploying and starting processes and getting work for external workers Now, this black box, however, does emit a stream of events. Rather, it can by loading an event exporter. You can write your own custom event exporters quite easily. And these can filter on the events that you're interested in and can emit them using the transport that you want. So one approach to execution listeners, for example, would be to write an exporter that emits all events and then put your execution listener logic in something that reads that event stream. This is an event stream for the engine, though. It's not a per-process instance event stream. So it has a global read on everything that's happening in the engine. Uh, for task listeners, you'd need to implement your own task list and fire the task lifecycle events from there. So it is doable, but with one caveat, you can only do this using self-managed because you can't load custom exporters in the um SAS hosted version of Kumunda Platform 8 but again if you wait long enough this kind of functionality will eventually show up in Kumunda 8 or you might go ahead and implement it and open source it and you know it eventually gets rolled in from the community as the solution or you might go back to first principles and have a look at like what are the actual kind of primitives that are available, the building blocks that are available in Kubuntu platform, mate, and how do I reimagine this problem and solve it with the the things that I have at hand? Changing the model, for example for for example. But again, it's it's looking into the specifics of your situation. Is the additional complexity of writing event streaming uh, exporters and listening to that worth it? Is there another way to do it, or do we just stay with Kubuntu seven at this point? Question three: For Komunda 8 SaaS, Web Modeler is used to deploy processes. But for self-hosted, what's the best strategy for DevOps and project management? And are there plans to have Web Modeler for self-hosted? Another great question. Um, this one's very hot. This question, people love Web Modeler. So I don't know that Web Modeler deploying processes is really the best strategy for DevOps even in SAS, it is a great demo and it's a great fast ripple cycle for development, for you know um, developing, deploying and starting instances to test them. It's great for collaboration, especially between um, distributed teams. But is it the best strategy for production? That's a different question. Personally, for production, I would probably export the models to source control and deploy them in a CI-CD pipeline from a tag. And you can do that using Jenkins or even GitHub workflows, either using ZBCTL or using code that you write in any of the client libraries. There's even a GitHub action for Komunda 8 SaaS that can be used to deploy models on Git push to a production deployment branch or matching on a tag. So... Uh, you know, having having your models and your code in the same place tagged with the same revision levels um, makes understanding what's running and what revision it's at easy to understand and to look at. So maybe the best strategy for both SaaS and self-hosted is the same thing. You want a single view of your production system if possible and tags and source control allow you to do that. So web Model is fantastic for rapid application development and collaboration, So I totally understand why people want that in self-hosted and it is part of the roadmap for self-hosted. It is coming. When? Not tomorrow, but it is high in the list of priorities. Next question. Kamunda 8 has three APIs in different technologies. We've got gRPC, GraphQL, and REST. Each is responsible for part of the functionality that was provided by the REST API on Kamunda 7. Can you clarify the differences in scope of each of them? Sure can. So workflow commands are sent to the engine over gRPC and you won't have to deal with the gRPC implementation or gRPC as a a transport as client libraries wrap these operations into high-level APIs. So you can effectively ignore it in 90% of cases. Uh, The 10% of cases where you do have to pay attention to the fact that these calls are going over gRPC is uh, when you have some kind of firewall configuration, especially if you're doing self-hosted or if you're punching out of your corporate firewall to access the SAS. So that, that gRPC API talks directly to the ZB workflow engine. So task list, the task list component is queried over GraphQL. And GraphQL is a good match for task list because it's a technology designed to reduce the number of related calls you have to make to a remote system, traversing a graph returned by previous calls, so you can batch it all into a single query. The REST API, so REST is used by two components in in the stack. Um, one is the Cloud Console, which in the SaaS offering uh, allows you to query your organization and provision new clusters. So you could write your own company front end to the cloud console to allow developers to provision new clusters according to your own internal rules, and it's also used the REST uh, a REST API by Operate, which is the um, management runtime management component of Commanda Platform Eight. It's roughly analogous to Cockpit in Commanda Seven. So for Operate, you use it to do things like listing deployed workflows. That that's an interesting one because you might expect listing deployed workflows to be part of the gRPC API with the ZB engine, but it turns out that it's not. So effectively, the gRPC uh, interfaces write only with uh, one or two exceptions to that. It's a command channel basically, and really the, the exceptions to that are the topology command and the activate jobs command where workers can get work from the engine. But otherwise, it's pretty much write only. So to find out what process definitions are deployed, you need to query operate, and that builds operate builds a picture of the current state of the system by extru- uh, consuming an event stream from an exporter and building that picture, which includes what process definitions are deployed. So that that that's an interesting one there, where you would expect it to be part of the gRPC command set but it's actually part of the operate rest command set but those are the three different ones gRPC for the ZV workflow engine GraphQL for task list and rest for operate and for the cloud console okay question five what are the best alternatives for someone who wants to implement their own task list okay you can implement your own task list in one of two ways you can either consume the Task List Components GraphQL API or you can implement your own worker that subscribes to a specific task type. It's uh, IO.comunda.zb colon user task. It's in the uh, documentation. Now if you consume the Task List API, you need a, to get a license to use it in production. Uh, with the task list component, you get an identity provider via KeyCloak, so you can easily integrate an existing user identity system. And you also get the GraphQL API with which you can do queries and mutations. What you don't get is you don't get task listeners that can fire on the task claimed lifecycle event, however. Using Commander Platform 8 self-managed with an exporter, you could trigger events on task created and task completed, Using a, an event exporter. However, there's no broker event for task claimed because that happens in whatever task list implementation you're using. So, if you really needed or wanted those kind of like uh, task lifecycle events to be fired, you could implement your own task list using the external worker pattern. So, there's really two different um, ways to do it using the task list GraphQL API or using your own completely your own implementation with an external worker. Next question question number six Why do I get resource exhausted errors when I add workers or increase the max jobs active setting? Okay, I love this question. Because it requires really understanding the architecture of ZB, the workflow engine underlying Komunda Platform 8. You might think more external task workers equals more performance, or making my external task worker capable of more work in parallel equals more performance. However, neither of these is necessarily the case. Why? At a high level, It's because Komunda Platform 8 is fundamentally a distributed streaming system. That means that it has greater linear scalability than your traditional RDBMS bound workflow engine, but it has different bottlenecks, back pressure at various points, and a radically different performance envelope. It is a complex system, and tuning it requires understanding how it works. In this specific case... Every worker periodically sends an activate jobs command to the gateway. The gateway then sends this command to each workflow engine in the clu- in the cluster. This command gets appended to the event stream and it needs to be processed by the stream processor. This ta- all of this takes CPU cycles and IO operations. So more workers means more requests. When the system is under load, and the stream processor starts lagging behind the event stream i.e. more events are being added than processed every second, the engine starts to reject commands with a back pressure signal, gRPC error 8, resource exhausted. So why raising the max active job setting for a worker should cause this is less obvious. Let's imagine a worker with max active jobs set to 1. This is effectively a statement about how many jobs the worker can execute in parallel. The worker asks for one job, and when it gets that job, it starts work on it, completes the work, then asks for another job. Now consider a worker with max active jobs set to five. The worker is saying, I can handle five jobs at the same time. So let's say this worker asks for five jobs, but only one job is available. The one job is returned, and the worker starts work on it, but immediately asks for another four jobs. Again, one job is available, so it gets one job and starts work on it, and immediately asks for three jobs. So the requests for jobs have been parallelized. At the same time, the completion of the jobs has also been parallelized. So in the case where jobs are becoming available one at a time, it's like having five workers connected. And this leads to many more job activation requests per unit of time. However, if you have a higher throughput of work, more jobs available at a time, and that take longer to process, then it makes sense to have a worker ask for five at a time. The work is then parallelized in the worker. This setup is not gonna result in more job activation requests per unit of time, but it is gonna mean that the worker can crunch through the work in parallel. So it's more suited to IO or CPU intensive tasks that take more time for the worker, and when there's either sufficiently high load on the system or sufficiently low, so the work is not being given an anemic stream of work and constantly asking for more. So tuning the performance of the setup depends on the time taken in the worker and the number of jobs created per second in the cluster. More is only better if it is impedance matched to the rest of the system. The best way to tune the system is to map the performance envelope by trying different settings while using a spreadsheet to track the variables. Things like process instances started per second, jobs available per second, time spent in the worker and the max jobs active setting. This is how our consultants tune these systems. They go down to the hardware, tracking the performance based on things like the amount of L2 cache memory in the CPU. It's part science and part magic. It's basically alchemy you can find dead spots and surprising performance zones and usually you're not tuning for the absolute best possible performance and you're tuning for a range of loads we've discussed distributing intelligence in the system to allow workers to do things like change their own settings based on things like jobs per second time spent in the worker and back pressure signals that would however introduce a new class of problems second-order effects that create complex harmonics and unpredictable behavior That's the nature of a distributed streaming system it's complicated and you need to understand what you're tuning okay question seven why the change in licensing between komunda seven and komunda eight and what is it there are many variations on this question asking things like how is this licensed how can i use this I think the best way to think through the licensing is to ask a lawyer and since I'm not a lawyer I'm gonna give you the next best thing and that is to understand the intent or the spirit of the licensing with Komunda Platform 8's core engine ZB we wanted to make it source available to enable community contribution but not expose ourselves to large cloud providers consuming it and reselling it as a service this is a common issue faced by open-source software vendors today so, the ZB license prohibits using ZB to provide a generic workflow engine as a service to clients. With the other components, like Task List, Operate, and Optimize, these are free to use in development and require a license to use in production. With Commando Platform 7, we offer a free to use in production version and an enterprise licensed version that unlocks additional features. However, We find that this is complicated to understand and can make it difficult for champions inside the organization to advocate to the decision makers about the value of these features. So we license the ancillary components in Camunda Platform 8 to be free forever in development, to allow technical teams to build solutions using them that demonstrate the value they provide, making the purchasing conversation more straightforward and easier. I think that understanding these background considerations, which inform the licensing structure, makes it easier to understand the licensing when you read through the specifics. There's a great blog post on this by Bernd Rucker, titled, How Open is Camunda Platform 8? I'll link it in the show notes. Okay, last question. Number eight. Implementing a cloud-native application requires new roles and new capabilities within our teams. Can you describe the internal stack and what skills we need to be leveraging not only to implement the projects both SaaS and self-hosted but also to operate Commando once in production? So we have two scenarios, self-managed where you host everything yourself and SaaS where Commando hosts everything except your business logic. So the engine and all the other components of the stack are managed. SaaS is pretty straightforward. Uh, You don't need anything for the the stack itself, the platform. Kamunda's SRE team does everything for you. Self-managed is where you really need additional capabilities. Cloud-native means that everything is optimized for, tested on, and documented to deploy to Kubernetes. In this case, it is a really good match for organizations that are already familiar with and using Kubernetes in either their own cloud or an external cloud provider. For local development or testing, you can stand up an entire platform stack using Docker Compose. But for production, you're gonna need Kubernetes, so a dedicated DevOps SRE type capability. Now in terms of the stack, there's the core broker engine, ZB, and this can be clustered as one or more nodes, and you have one or more gateways that act as the client contact point. You might have a reverse proxy in front of the gateways to provide load balancing and a single point of contact like Nginx. That's how the Kamunda hosted SAS does it. Then you have an elastic, elastic cluster for event stream exports. You have operate, which is the process instance management UI. This reads the event stream from Elasticsearch and also writes its own indices in there, basically projections of the current state from the historical events. You have Optimize, which is the process business intelligence piece for analytics and reporting. It interacts with Elasticsearch in a similar manner to operate. And you have Task List, which provides a UI for user tasks, along with a GraphQL API that you can use for queries and mutations. And then there's Identity and KeyCloak, which are used for access control groups for user task assignment. One difference between self-managed and SaaS apart from the fact that with self-managed you have to manage the deployment, configuration and security of all of these components whereas with SaaS that's all done for you is that in SaaS you have also the web modeler which is integrated with the broker clusters and you also have the cloud console which allows you to provision clusters and create API credentials for client applications either via the UI or via a REST API. So Web Modeler and Cloud Console are not there in self-managed yet. There are plans to bring them, but they aren't part of that stack at the moment. So you have all the Kubernetes deployment and configuration, including things like configuring ingresses and securing transport layers. And one thing about this is that with Komunda Platform 8, you have an architecture that maps onto the structure of modern organizations that are running cloud native workloads and by that i mean that the separation of concerns maps to the division of labor you have a devops team and you have a clear devops piece you have an application development team and you have an application development piece so those are the eight top questions about come platform 8 as decided by me based on slack forum and meetup conversations if you have a question that didn't get asked, feel free to drop by the forums and ask away. I'm your host, Josh Wolf, signing off for this episode. Stay safe out there and keep automating those processes.